Welcome to FBC Midlothian, where we are resilient disciples leading people to pursue Jesus where we live, work, and play. Today, we'll look at what drives us to be influencers who lead people to pursue Jesus. Because Jesus first loved us, now we love the people in our world. This morning, I want to give you the best news you'll ever hear. I want it to be clear. I don't want it to be subtle. I don't want it to be missed by anybody in the room. There's something that Paul wrote to the early church that he wrote just to me. And it is the most life-altering news that I ever experienced, and I want you to understand why. We've been spending some time on our mission. We've spent several weeks talking about being resilient disciples who lead people to pursue Jesus where we live, work, and play. And all that's nice, but if it only stays as some kind of print on a banner, it means nothing. And I don't know what will motivate us to pursue that except that we have experienced something with Jesus that has been life-altering. So today I want you to open your Bibles and hold the place, because we're going to get there. This is the book of Colossians. We're going to be in the second chapter. And I want you to find that place, and then I want you to look up here. There are many of you who've walked through days where you knew the truth. You had the facts. The facts made sense. The facts were orderly. They were based in history. You could do the math. Here are the facts. But frankly, the missing piece was how those facts permeated you and affected you. And I don't think there's anything that's going to motivate us to show somebody else the love of Jesus and help them discover that unless that is absolutely crystal clear to us how he rescued us. So I thought I'd do something a little different today. I want to tell you a little bit of my story. For many, many years, I have um, I've had this feeling of my past. Uh, it used to haunt me so much. In fact, I've got a friend who still likes to come up to me whenever they're going to make a choice that they think I'm not going to like, and they will say to me in an accusatory nature, you know, Bruce, you have a past. And I want to say thank you, because I'd forgotten that. Really? I have a past. And I do. And I think many of you need to know what that is. So for years, there were certain vices that I pursued, certain things that ruled my life, things that made me ashamed in front of God. In fact, I would say that I could go to church, and I did, and I knew how to sing all the songs, I knew how to do the right things, you know, check off the boxes, perform, do all those things, but hold God at arm's length. And the things that made me do that were those vices, those choices that I had made with my life that made me so ashamed that I could not imagine God ever really accepting me. It's too dangerous. Too dangerous to risk. Too dangerous to confess. And I kept thinking I could solve them myself. This was my life. At a very young age, I began to struggle with lust. 
Like many of you, um, there were plenty of things on TV in my world that brought that to my attention time after time. Back in those days, way back in those days, I was protected because it was rather difficult to obtain what you wanted to be able to practice that lust. Now it comes looking for you. And every single one of you know that. I would come to God, I would come to church hoping that if I was at church, if I did some religious things, that that would be relieved of me, that I would finally find freedom. But I didn't. And frankly, going along with that was the fact that I had a very robust selfishness. I liked me. I loved me some me. I wanted to achieve. I, you could call it a greed for power, a greed for achievement, attention, affection, whatever you want to call it. But I was going to serve me. Me came first. Me was the ruler of my life. And so it was real easy to say to Jesus, if I was called to do something else, say, well, I'll have to talk that over with me and see how that comes out. And because of that, I also struggled with jealousy. I, um, I found myself looking at other people wishing I had what they had, looked like they looked, had the, the ability they had, had the prowess that some skill or popularity or anything else. And so I was jealous. And going with that, I learned some great skill for exercising that called slander. See, if you can't achieve, you can't get there, then you can cut down someone who does. And I was an expert. I had skills. It would just be sort of subtle, under the radar, just slow like that, but I could slice and dice, and the more that happened, the more I found that I was being ruled by anger. Many of you have heard this. If you've been around this family long, it's not the kind of raging anger where everybody says, oh my gosh, she's got a problem. No, mine was quiet. Mine was stealthy. And I would simply play the cross-examining attorney anytime I got in a pinch and I could drive somebody into an alley until I dug a hole underneath them and all it took was one more lie and I would pull the trap and beat the dirt down on top of them. And I enjoyed it. And I have to tell you, this life that I carried, this life I lived, was daily sucking the life out of me. All the joy, the more these things happened, the more distant I became, the more I stiff-armed God because it was safer to do that. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to have to face it. And some of these things grew stronger. Some grew a little weaker, but this was my life. And if that's where the story ended, then I wouldn't be here today and you would not give me even a fraction of your time to hear what I have to say. Ashamed in God's presence, I finally experienced what I call living hope. Paul would write my story to the Colossians. I want you to listen. Verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature had not yet been cut away. And that was true. I felt on so many levels dead. I wanted to feel, I wanted to experience life, I wanted to have confidence dead. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all your sins. 
He canceled the record of charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Jesus offered to me to pay the judgment and the death and the decay that this life brought me. He offered to deal with that. He said, you give me these things. You bring those to me. You give me the opportunity for this, and I will take them. I'll take them on myself. I will let you cast those cares upon me. That's what Paul says. But Jesus didn't just ignore these. He didn't just say, oh, you know, I'm not really sure that's even a sin anymore, Bruce. I, you know, this is okay. It, it's okay. Instead, he goes, every single one of these have death as its end. Your anger will destroy your heart. Your selfishness will destroy your relationships. Your jealousy will take it to its nth degree, and your slander is abhorrent to me. They all are deadly. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus chose to take all of my stuff on him. And instead of just dismissing it, he decided to let it kill him. And they nailed him to the cross for my sin. It was my slander. He was innocent, but he paid for my slander. He was innocent and pure, but he paid for my lust. He was selfless, but he paid for my selfishness. In history, did it. Faced death. Now, if it ends there, i got to tell you that you could read history and find all kinds of people who have died for causes. We call them martyrs. You could find all kinds of people who took steps, they believed something so holistically that they were willing to die for it. And when they did, that was the end of the story. It was permanent. But for Jesus, it wasn't. Because to die for something, a good cause, to become a martyr, really doesn't accomplish anything. I, I can look and say, well, yeah, that's great, but I'm still facing the same kind of eternal end unless something else happened and that something else was on the third day Jesus rose from the grave and defeated the death that all of this was pointing to, that all of this was going to result in. All of the rejection, all the judgment, all of the consequence he faced and then defeated it by rising again from the grave. And I don't tell you that because I think it's a nice thing to believe. I tell you that as a skeptic who wrenched my heart over and over to try to come to grips with a resurrection that wasn't just something for my heart, but something that my mind could believe. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the um, circles. I drew you three circles that God had a design that we sinned, that it created problems. We started experiencing those problems like crazy. We tried to fix it, couldn't. Then Jesus came. He lived a sinless life that we could never live, that we were supposed to live, that we were originally designed to live, but because we want to do things our own way, we rejected that, and we had all these problems. And the only way we could ever have hope was this, that Jesus would come for us. The other part was 
that this demanded a response from us. Now, you could make your own list right now. If you wanted to make your own list and say, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to take some risk and I'm going to write these things out. And you brought these to the same place and said, I want to place those there. Those things would be included. And I would tell you that every sin committed by every person in every generation on every land of every tribe, tongue, and ethnicity in any point in history, he paid for all of them. But they aren't applied until you make a decision. We were doing the three circles and said our response to that good news is we have to repent and believe. Repent meaning we recognize I have done this to myself, and I did. No one made me. I did this to myself. All these characteristics I've described for you are real. They're not exaggerated. They are real. They imprisoned me. They shamed me. Until I turned from trying to fix it myself. And I asked Jesus to apply everything he had done here. To my sin. I asked him to be my Savior. I chose to trust him with my life. And when he did, it's interesting because when we were doing those, those circles a few weeks ago, I said that once you do that, you start to recover and pursue the design of God again. And when you do, you start experiencing the blessings of God. An interesting thing. God began to work on my anger in these, and it was a journey. It wasn't instantaneous. He began to replace anger with forgiveness. The ability to look at somebody else and say, you know, they're, they're just as human as I am. And he forgave me so much. How could I not forgive them? You know, to this day, I have people come and they'll talk to me and they'll tell me some of their deepest, darkest secrets, expecting wrath or judgment. And I was heartbroken. Jesus forgave me so much. He can forgive you so much. And I will gladly extend to you what was given to me. He took my slander and instead he taught me how to encourage people. To be able to hear their stories. I, I talk about this often. I love hearing people's stories because I believe that God is at work in every story. Some people can't recognize it. And I love being a part of coming alongside and saying, you know... Have you ever thought that? It's a whole lot better than slander. Leaves no bad taste in your mouth, no damage in your wake, and instead you get to build people up. And he gave, took that jealousy, and instead he gave me security because somewhere in the mix I realized the God of the whole universe loves me. And if I've got his welcome, his adoption, his approval, his... Why am I worried about what other people think? It's like going to the jester and being torn up because the jester keeps poking fun of you and the king goes, it's all right, I got this. You're mine. And I love you. And in the place of that selfishness, he began to build a heart for service. No longer having to be the one... In the front, no longer having to be the one that has everybody wait. 
to say, Bruce, you will find great joy if you'll catch a mop and help clean up vomit in a preschool room. You'll find great joy if you will sink back to the background and just serve. If you'll wait on people at your table, if you clean up the mess, you'll walk humbly. And it's so freeing. There'll be a day when I walk out of this place and I won't be the pastor anymore. And I'll probably be in a preschool classroom taking care of kids or on the the sidewalk having a blast just messing with people as they come in. And in place of the lust, He gave me purity I didn't earn. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all your sins. And He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. When He did, my record wasn't just redeemed. My record was white clean. That is why we worship Jesus. That's why we come together and we say, I need you because helping your record isn't going to do the trick. Making a few minor alterations in your morals, that will not fulfill you and you will not find security in it because there will always be more that needs to be done. Taking care of a couple of things and finding some forgiveness is great, but there's always more that's needed. Instead, he said, I'm going to take your whole lifetime and it won't be minor surgery and I'll wipe your record clean. So you ever want to know what I wrestle with, what kinds of things that I'll tell you. You ever wonder, hey, so does this work pristinely for you? I'll tell you the truth. Man, I'm still a work in progress. I'm like the canvas that has the the paints on it. And Jesus, every single day, is doing some more detail work. But I know in heaven's court, my record has been cleansed. Because years ago, after trying to be religious, trying to be good, I leaned on this. That is what we remember and celebrate every time we come together. That is what matters. You can go away from here and say, you know, sermon didn't do a thing for me. That's fine. You know, I like different music. That's fine. You know, it was too loud. That's fine. It was too soft. It's fine. But if you get this picture of Jesus' grace down, your whole life can change. What He did is history. It's done. You can't change it. You cannot go back and undo what He did. But you, you do have a choice to make on whether you will respond to this with your repentance and with your trust and say, Jesus, I want to trust you. 
Jesus must have been convinced he had kinesthetic learners because he kept doing object lessons and he would take fish or he would take coins or he would take grain or he would take bread and a cup of wine to try and help them see the reality was right before them. And today we're going to do that. And so on that evening, on the eve before the crucifixion, Jesus gathered his disciples together because as many times as he had tried to help them understand what was about to happen, they still couldn't get it. And so he chose another object lesson. They were gathering for the ultimate object lesson in Jewish life, the Passover meal, when they would remember how Jesus or how God had delivered them out of Egypt. And so he took the elements they were used to. They took the bread and he took the cup. But instead of just doing the Passover when they were done, he would shock them by doing something completely different. Because what he was about to do would make the Passover experience of Egypt look small. And so on that night, he took what they were used to using, the bread, they knew that there had been a breaking of the will of the Pharaoh in Egypt. They knew they had made this bread in haste in Egypt before they left. And they knew just a little bit about how much their lives had been broken by sin. And Jesus took that bread that night. The Scripture tells us He broke it. And He gave it to them. And He said, This is my body which is broken for you. So eat it in remembrance of me. When God liberated the Israelites, He painted a picture that would be repeated time after time. Sacrificial system was all object lesson. It was all about transferring your guilt to something else that would pay the price for you. You look at the Old Testament, if you ever read those, those books about the sacrificial system, literally they would put their hands on this animal they were giving. The priest would take it, and literally the death that that animal suffered was in their place. And everyone at that table that night knew it. But it had been expressed ultimately in Egypt when God had given instruction and said, I'm going to bring judgment on everybody in the country and I'll provide deliverance to anybody in the country. But this is how it'll happen. You take a lamb and slay it. You take its blood and you paint it on the doorpost of your home. And all who hide behind that blood, when I come to exercise my judgment, when I see that blood, I will see your trust in me and I will pass over and you will be spared and delivered. And so Jesus, knowing that same thing about what he would face on the cross, about how he would take his own life, he would allow his own life to be that payment so that every single one of us could hide behind that sacrifice for all of judgment to come on Him so we could experience forgiveness instead. Jesus took that cup that had been passed around that table and He said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. So drink it, all of you, in remembrance of me. 
So, what will you do? Will you allow this to be expressed for you? That's your choice. You can say, God, I'll do it myself. You can hold him at arm's length as long as you want, and he will not take you by force. But you will be alone facing the wrath of of your choices. Or you can come to this beautiful thing that was a, a, a shame in 2,000 years ago. And you can treat this as the sign of when your record was washed clean. If you're still wrestling with that, you're here and you'd go, Bruce, I am one of those guys. I'm right where you were. And I'd like to have that settled today. I'd love to talk to you. I'll be in the compass right after we're dismissed. It's not going to be complicated. You're going to make a decision about Jesus and whether you will trust Him with your life, doing an about face from you being the boss, letting Him start to lead. And He will start to produce in you the redeemed things that once cursed you. He will wash your record clean. That's never happened for you. We'd love to talk to you about that. Those of you who are watching online, you're going to see a text number. If you would just send us a text, say, hey, I'd like to get a call. Give us your number so we can get back in touch with you. We'll be monitoring that today, this afternoon. We'd love to call you and hear what's going on and help you. I hope you'll let us. But every single one of you will choose today whether you will keep trying to rewrite your history or you'll let him do it once and for all. Hope you let him. Let's pray. Father, today we give you the honor. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for what you faced for us and for the power of the resurrection that doesn't just make you a martyr, but makes you a redeemer, a rescuer. And so today, as we sing about this rewriting of our history, God, give us joy. Give us a kind of joy that fills us up from our heads to our toes as we prepare to leave this place with the clean slate you promised us. That we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to talk to somebody about what you've heard or you have any questions, send us a text at 972-845-5796 and a pastor will get right back to you. Subscribe to this podcast to get notified each week when new content is posted. If you're local to the Midlothian, Texas area, we would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services at 8 o'clock, 9.30, or 11. You can also visit us online at fbcmidlow.com. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.